0: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue and thanks for tuning in. With me today are crew members Jara. Hello. And Andy. Hello. And today we have a book club episode. We're going to be discussing uh, Next Generation number 39, Rogue Saucer by john vornholt i'm assuming is that pronunciation
1: yes and as grace said i believe when we announced this no this is not the novel about Neelix
2: rogue (laughs) associate when i looked it up on amazon i kept getting um like barbecue sauces
0: (laughs) they kept trying to sell me sauce and i was like that's not what i want when we (laughs) announced it we got a lot of great wordplay comments yep so, but first, we have a little bit of housekeeping, as usual. We want to remind you about our Patreon. Our show is entirely funded by Patreon. Patreon has been in the news a little bit recently about their fee changes, but they have decided they are not going to roll out those changes. So for the time being, we are sticking with Patreon. And you can become a patron for as little as $1 per month with no additional fees, And get awesome rewards from thanks on social media to watch-along commentaries. And we have even been talking about some new ones that we might have in the works. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can visit us at patreon.com slash women at warp. And you can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And Patreon should know that they're on my list
2: and that they are on probation. And they need to step very carefully for a little while here now.
0: Yeah, we will be keeping a close eye on what's going on over at Patreon.
2: You guys can't see it, but I'm making the gesture where I point to my eyes and like, Mm -hmm. like I'm watching you, watching you Patreon. Yes,
1: Yes. you're going to be like Garrick (laughs) on Patreon's promenade. (laughs) It's so true.
2: It's so true.
0: Do we have any other housekeeping to touch on today? I don't believe so. I think the only other bit might be Happy New Year to everyone listening to this as it comes out. Hope your hangover isn't too bad. So let's get started. Rogue Saucer. Does anybody want to give a quick summary? The The saucer saucer goes goes rogue. rogue. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks.
2: (sighs) I mean... Where's the lie, Sue?
0: <laughs> Not no. Okay, so the, the ship
1: is uh, the Enterprise D. They're going on shore leave because the ship has been damaged, particularly the saucer section has been damaged in a fight with the Maquis. And they arrive at the starbase, but then who should show up but Admiral Luchaev? And she goes, this is a perfect opportunity to try this new prototype saucer that we have that can land on planets. And Picard says, that sounds really dumb. And uh, she says, it's definitely not really dumb. And me and my aide, Henry Fulton, are going to take some of your crew and we're going to go test this out. But then things go awry from there. Shenanigans. Yes.
0: Yeah, so it's set very shortly after the TNG episode Preemptive Strike, the last one where we get Ro. Yep. The Architect. And yes who is never actually named in the book as the architect, but is very clearly implied to be Roe. By the way, spoilers at this point. (laughs) (laughs) But the book was published in March of 96, and that's two years after Next Gen ended and a year and a half after Generations. And it just is so funny to me how they keep saying, well, the saucer was designed to be able to crash land if needed. And, like, just Guinan even at one point, like, doesn't mention the Nexus, but she's about to. So there's all of these things where they're trying to tie it into Generations a year and a half later. And I just think it's really funny.
1: Yeah, it kind of made me wonder whether John Bornhold, like got the idea from Generations or whether this was an idea that he had that could have worked for an episode
0: but just never panned out. It is mentioned in um, Voyages of Imagination and the technical manual that he got the idea from studying the saucer section and the landing capabilities from the technical manual.
2: Okay. All right. Props to him for reading a technical manual, I guess. Something I would never
0: do. That's that's as as much as we know. We don't always get a lot of background for the inspiration for the tie-in novels.
1: I have the technical manual sitting here on my bookshelf. I have had it since, like, grade five. I do not think I have opened it. (laughs) purely here for cred someone walks into my study to be like oh you must know your star trek
0: i also thought it was pretty funny there's just one throwaway line where one of the characters says well maybe starfleet and the maquis can work side by side after all and it's three months after voyager premiered as well as when this was published there's a lot of fun like entertaining
1: throwaway lines in this book <laughs> and some of them that are clearly like a little bit fan servicey just like that's something the fans have always been thinking like there's a part at the end where they uh I think guyinen says that the hull section looks silly without the saucer and like everyone's uh-huh. been thinking it something like that start the architect whose row it turns out is kind of behind this whole scheme to uh disable the enterprise and then kidnap the prototype saucer and unite it with the hull section so that they basically have a galaxy class starship for the Maquis that they can use to destroy this Cardassian colony.
2: Yeah, it's really ruthless. From top to yep. bottom, the whole plan is very ruthless. Although she's
1: like, don't kill any Star Trek or Starfleet people, only yeah, Cardassians. Yeah, right. I guess.
2: Like that's going to happen. I yeah. feel like that's an order you give knowing that it's not ever going to be practical but, like, it'll make you feel better. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure,
1: yeah, Ro is interest an interesting sort of character on the-, the periphery of this book. And it must be hard for her to reconcile the reasons that she supported Starfleet for the reasons that she is supporting the Maquis when, like, there's definitely some tension there. Yeah.
2: There were a handful of times where it seems like she almost regrets her choice. But feels like she's kind of gone too far to go back. And she still believes in her mission, but she misses her old life, kind of.
0: It makes me wonder more about Rose' backstory. Because if she was in Starfleet Academy and then on the Enterprise, what we later learn about Bajor is that they were in the occupation. So somehow she avoided that and was able to go to Starfleet yeah. Academy? I. It's, so, it
1: does explain it in the Tarok Nor books, but I forget exactly what it says because we actually see her in those books as like a teenager fighting in the resistance. So I don't know if it. I believe that like someone sort of encourages her to
2: leave and get involved with Starfleet, but I
1: might be wrong about that. It's been a while.
2: Well, Riley, also known as Blue Moon, which is the silliest code name <laughs> I've ever heard, but whatever. Sillier than Peacock. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Neither of them really (laughs) picked any good names here. But how accurate is Peacock, though? (laughs) The Architect is definitely the coolest name. Yeah, definitely. But he says at one point that he's surprised that they allowed a Bajoran to get so high ranking in Starfleet. And I don't know if he just means, like, general racism, or if it just really is surprising because of how long they were allowed to go to the academy like there's it's interesting i'm not entirely sure what he
0: meant by that Hmm. well they're not a federation world yet either
2: yeah yeah
1: that's true and there's definitely like some people who feel that they're too backwards we know by this point uh to be Mm -hmm. in the federation because of their religion although that doesn't as much apply to roe
0: but you could also make the argument that maybe roe is taking this opportunity to fight the Cardassians because she left and didn't fight when she went to Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of speculation there.
1: <laughs> I don't think we really find out why Henry Fulton joins the Maquis. Oh, sure we do. He's a douche. Yeah,
0: pretty much. <laughs> he wants to be in charge. Well, is what he claims to be so many different things each time. Yeah. He claims to be Starfleet. He claims to be Maquis. He claims to be a double agent mm-hmm. for both. So basically, he's a douche. Yeah.
1: Yes. He seems really power-hungry and not particularly yes. acting on principles, but, like, he's sick of being, like, second in Necheyev, even though he hasn't been raided for that long.
2: Yeah, and um, I feel like he is classic mediocre dude who is, like, mad that he's mediocre. Yes.
0: A hundred percent.
2: And sees this as an opportunity to be awesome. Yeah. And, of course, he biffs it because he sucks. Yes.
0: Well, he even says... To Nachaev at one point that he realizes that Starfleet's never going to promote him. Like, he realizes he's mediocre, at least in the eyes of Starfleet.
2: Well, Starfleet was right. (laughs) That was the correct decision on Starfleet's part. They should have just gotten rid of him a long time ago. And he's just so reactionary
0: and vengeful.
2: Yeah, there's a point where he thinks Jordy died. He, like, cackles like a (laughs) cartoonishly evil cackle. Geordi's dead. He fell down an elevator shaft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so,
1: like, if people um didn't read the book yet, but you you're still want to go ahead and you're listening to this episode, um, we have a situation where Wesley Riker and Geordi and Necheyev are on the rogue saucer with the Maquis. Picard and Data and some other not super important people are on the hull section and trying to get back to the saucer section, but they're damaged. And then a bit later, Troy and Crusher and Guinan come on the original saucer
0: to try and save the day. So that's who's where. So the setup, it all starts with the Enterprise going into space or Starbase 211 to get some shore leave. And then Admiral Chev pulls a few people to go on this special mission. And we get these scenes where it looks like Crusher and Troy are being specifically left out. And they figure it out and they go to confront Picard. And he's like, I'm just trying to preserve your shore leave. (laughs) Which, whatever. There are issues, certainly, with that. But then you have Crusher. I'm not sure if she says it or she thinks it. But it's bringing up, basically, that still the people who he's, that Picard is taking on this mission are the ones that are the most overworked on the ship. Yes. Yeah. It's true.
1: I mean, it's. Hard. I I have mixed feelings about this because it's partly just a problem of the way Next Generation was set up because Mm -hmm. in terms of who you would pick, it does make sense to have your engineering people and your tactical people first. I guess Worf is around there too, but he's on the the hull section, right? Yeah, he's with Picard. I feel like him and Data don't – they actually get, I think, less memorable stuff to do than Crusher and Troy.
0: True. But, I mean, I still think that – If you're crash, intentionally crashing a saucer section onto a planet, you would want a medical officer there. That is (laughs) true.
1: Crusher definitely would have made, it would have made sense to ask Crusher. I think probably Freud didn't make a ton of sense, although she was a bridge officer, like commander by that point, but
2: yeah. Yeah. Can we take a moment and discuss their shore leave? Because I think yes. it's hilarious. Yes, it is. Okay, first of all, they he get he like writes a little shore leave scene for all of them, and their various scenes are so funny. Like Riker's trying to hit on a Dalton, like you do, and like Crusher gets like some spa stuff, and Troy goes and, and clears out. A bunch of dudes, a seedy bone yeah, for their poker money, and it's just so funny to me, like what people chose to do with their shore leave and of course, Picard was like super pumped to look go look at art and like museum and study the archaeology mm-hmm. and it's just I I just found that so delightful like the things that he chose for their various shore yeah
1: I thought it was funny although the Riker like wanting to hit on a delton thing was like a little skeevy the way it was described it was like oh she was a delton she's one of the like it was again one of those really like you know a uh, biological determinism things that like she must be it must be the most incredible sex ever because she's a Dalton and it's like
0: eh. yeah it was like if you get one to fall in love with you it was it was gross, yeah. basically. <laughs> but also, so was Troy's scene. That's, there was a lot yeah. of sexism in Troy's, scene. but she
2: used it. Yes,
0: she <laughs> which did. I enjoyed. Yeah, she's like, "What me? Definitely. I don't know poker. Poker? I barely knew Golly her." Golly gee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then um, Troy and Crusher get to kind of come to the rescue, and they bring Gine with them. But there's this weird little bit that seemed unnecessary uh that the the captain of the starbase goes and talks to to Crusher and says so you'll command the the saucer section and she says yes and they talk about her choosing people for this mission and then she shows up on the bridge to find Troy in the center seat who i'm assuming did not also choose a crew for this mission and troy was like i just assumed i was going to be the captain
1: yeah, that was weird. It just seemed like that wouldn't actually happen. And I don't think Troy would have been weird and territorial about it either.
2: Like She wasn't, though. They were like, oh, well, who should command? And she thought about it. And she was like, you should. You have more experience.
0: Uh, right, but shouldn't she know she's not commanding when she's not choosing the crew? I don't know. She just showed up to the bridge and everybody was there. And she was like, okay, great. I'm in charge. <laughs> she was still riding that poker high. Maybe. But yeah, it was definitely, she said, you have more experience, I'll be first officer. So, I mean, it didn't turn into any kind of fight. But it was still, it felt strange and unnecessary in some ways.
2: I also liked that she ended up at Tactical. That's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah.
2: And then Guinan, like, is bringing them coffee
1: on the bridge it's like, your, are, And I also thought it was, are you allowed to have coffee on the bridge? No. I'm pretty sure, like, people occasionally, I mean, maybe that's just something that changed from the days of Kirk, and with when the yeomans went extinct, there was no coffee to mm. be had on the bridge. But, uh, it seems weird that, that it would be, like, disallowed at all times. Like, man, get you know, you don't want hot drinks around if there's gonna be a battle, but...
2: Oh, I mean, Sulu sits on
0: the bridge and sips tea, man. Yeah. And then there are shards of porcelain ceramic on the floor after the (laughs) battle i'm just saying i think they should be allowed china that's the word i couldn't think of (laughs) coffee they should be allowed coffee but i don't think i've ever seen anyone with a beverage on the bridge of the enterprise you might be right maybe it's just a picard rule
2: well remember that time when that um that woman dumped hot chocolate on picard (laughs) <laughs> that's why he probably made a think, rule after that.
0: That's it, and no more beverages.
1: <laughs> it's just like classic male privilege, where he's just like he can go into his ready room and
2: drink his tea all gray hot, but no one else is allowed. Oh, to. but this time because he was feeling a little unsettled, he went with chamomile lukewarm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was uh classy. I uh, lukewarm, man.
2: That's not a thing that you generally aim for. But okay. Can I say something to you about the descriptions cuz once we got into the the actual like battle stuff, I stopped noticing that. But like in the first quarter of this book, they were really making me laugh. Like at one point, <laughs> at one point he describes Bev's eyes as a velvety green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh no, Ronan's still here. <laughs> it was just, it I did super funny. Yeah, I
1: noticed that, and the part where like Troy has the nice dress on, and they're all noticing the fact that she has the nice dress on. Mm-hmm. I did. I it, this is something that we talked about in other books that we've looked at before. This, I this feeling from particularly Men. male authors. That you need to remind us that the women are attractive and, and like, what they look like. That's why often reading TOS books, you'll hear people refer to her as, like, Nubian or dark-skinned. And in that Mm -hmm. case, it's, like, very racialized. But people will also talk about, like, her long, slender fingers or her deep, like, her deep jet black eyes or, you know – Things like that and same with this. It's like Troy's hair, Crusher's eyes, but they aren't being like Riker,
2: his goatee of masculinity. His rippling pecs. Well, they actually, he called Riker big <laughs> Yeah, he did. A lot. And there was actually a point where Nechev was like, you're <laughs> big, just knock it down. And it made me laugh so hard, I was right. dying.
0: <laughs> but I did notice that especially in the, the spa scene with Crusher and Guinan, Or they talked a lot about hair. Yeah, and he he also made note, of course, of her slim waist when she (laughs) used her towel.
2: I did like though that the
0: Vulcan comes in and like tells her she's in
2: command, and she doesn't bother to get out of the spot. That that's a power move. (laughs) She was naked right there. She was like, "Yeah, I'm naked, but mm, it's probably fine." He's Vulcan. It was hilarious. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That's a Luxana-Troy move Bye. right there.
0: That's what that is. Yep. So I have one more quick note about beverages in this book. <laughs> okay. No, seriously, At because it it, it it was so weird is why I remember it. At the very end when they're beaming up the injured, after all this business has gone down, Crusher turns to Guinan and says, get them some hot <laughs> apple cider.
2: To be fair, after a rough day, I like apple cider, but I'm from Michigan, so that's kind of one of our go-tos.
0: I mean, apple cider is wonderful, but it's very specific. Like, they're shivering, they're cold, they've been in ice water, and it's not get them something hot to drink, it's get them some hot apple cider. (laughs) She's like,
1: if I was them, what would I want to drink right now?
2: I know. That's like how she decides. Well, then I would have gotten them hot chocolate with whipped cream vodka in it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm like,
2: where's my half-sweet peppermint mint mocha? <sighs> mint mocha with two shots of raspberry.
0: Yep.
2: Other than the Shore Leave stuff. So they leave Shore Leave, and that's when we kind of get like these three separate perspectives, which I mm-hmm. think worked, at least I-, I liked yep. moving between the perspectives. And one thing that I think r- worked really well with setting it up like this is you're wondering most of the time what Picard's going to do. Because you know what's happening, but Picard doesn't. So there's a whole yes. thing where Douchebag McGee, what's his name? Peacock, Fulton. I like Douchebag Fulton. McGee better. But anyways, mm-hmm. where he he's like... Cackling, and he was like, "All right, so what we're gonna do is what they did, and I actually think it's pretty funny. <laughs> what they did is they stole the saucer, which uh, nothing will ever make that not funny. They stole the saucer and went into a dust cloud, and they're gonna try and trick Picard into coming into the dust cloud and reattaching the hull and the saucer, and then they'll take over the hull, and then they'll have the the ship."
0: Mm-hmm. But that was not the original plan. The original plan was that they wouldn't be able to defeat the simulation virus, and they would just, like, go back later when the hull was drifting and pick it up.
2: Sucks for him that Worf is awesome.
0: Yeah, that was really – this sounds terrible. That was really <laughs> smart for Worf. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, if you're asking who's going to overcome an evil virus-y simulation they're all trapped in and you've got data picard and Worf there Worf's not the one year that's your go-to at least not yeah. for me but hey it worked he got his hero moment but yeah so mm-hmm. th- what i mean though is that it, it i think it added a lot of tension which was really fun because you were like Picard's smart he'll probably figure this out but they, i mean they really took it right to the wire because at this point Jordy and riker have escaped which their whole escape scene was pretty <laughs> great too <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of you know that episode where where they go to Romulan and is it Sila that does that that locks Data and Spock in her office with all the computers and is like this will be fine <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> basically they do the same thing the Mekhi do the same thing they're like okay we're gonna put three top Starfleet officers in a room alone and that that'll That'll be fine. And it's like not even two minutes later and Jordy is like open a panel and is like running away in the Jeffries tubes and stuff. It was so great. But even
0: when they do escape, they're not worried about it. <laughs> they're like, they're unarmed. It'll be fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're like, ah, we'll deal with them. Look, I, I loved this book. I'm not even going to – I'm not even going to front. I really liked it. It was really funny um, and fun to read and yeah.
1: It was also – yeah, like the Maquis, their first uh, step is not like like they take some steps that make more sense later for like how to flush them out. But originally, they're like just send one guy after them to beat them <laughs> up. <laughs> mm. <sighs> that sounds like that'll work. They clearly weren't looking at how big Riker was.
0: <laughs> he almost as big as the big beefy, Bajoran. the beefy who Bajoran. Kept being described as big. <laughs> Oh, but the first time I read this book, I found it in a used bookstore on the way to my aunt's house one summer, and I read it cover to cover in the back seat of the family car on the way to summer vacation. Nice. And I loved it. And I actually don't think I've read it all the way through since then, but that's why I picked this one and made you guys read this book. So I'm glad you had fun with it. Yep because it just lived in my memory as like this was a great book i mean you had at me at runaway
2: saucer right <laughs> i mean it's even though you know you
1: theoretically could have pulled this off in an episode it's obviously like a lot more action oriented than most tng episodes and more like space battle the whole way through and um, i thought it was really like fun and fast-paced and just
2: generally entertaining I especially like it when uh, Riker kneecapped a guy.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. So there is actually a semi serious es- ethical thing I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we I, mean, Kevin's fine, okay. man. Before we get into the ethical things though, can we talk about Necheyev okay. a
1: bit cuz Necheyev's like a big role in this oh, yeah. book and I feel like um there's like uh, it's a little bit mixed the way that she's represented starting with on the starbase when she shows up and basically Picard is just like this is literally the worst thing that could
0: happen to me. <laughs> Right. She's, they're portrayed as very antagonistic. Yes. And like, always in the novels, it seems like it's a much more strained relationship than it did on the show to me. Like, yep. he, he, she's clearly not his favorite person, but like, they, they didn't hate each other. Am I wrong?
1: No, I I thought it was a little over the top, too. It almost felt like the tone in the book felt like uh, Picard not just hated Necheyev, but probably at the poker games, like, sat down and was like, hey, crew, Necheyev, am I right? And everyone was just like, oh, she's the worst. Because you get that sense from other people, too, that they just, yeah. like, they don't want to be around
2: her. Which is weird, because she's kind of awesome in this book.
1: Yeah. And so then I was like, well, it gets a lot like I I like how awesome she gets later on. But it was it it did feel like overly antagonistic to me at the beginning.
0: But the reasons that they give for disliking her is crap. She demands perfection. Yeah. Like, that's not a bad thing. Like,
2: she's tough and um, requires people to be competent. Oh, no, (laughs) (laughs) that's not how I want my admirals to be. Of course, I've always loved Necheyev, so I have such a soft spot for her. She's the only admiral I've ever liked. Well, Cornwell now, but...
1: I think that the way that they sort of express frustration with Necheyev is it's about her demanding perfection, but also refusing, I guess, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory that, like, they feel they've succeeded on these missions, but all she can see are the things that went wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I get that, but, like, that. I mean, I think that that is a a dynamic that makes sense. And, you know, people will be familiar with that from, like, workplaces or things about having, like, senior people swoop in and not really understand how things work day to day on the ground. But I I thought it was just a little much at the beginning how irritated people seem to be. (laughs) But uh, later on, she gets kind of awesome.
2: Yeah, definitely. She's so awesome that the Bajoran guy, the non-douche guy... He um he actually is sitting there like, I like her.
1: Yeah, she basically tells Picard to blow up the saucer with all of them on it. I know. It's so yeah. hardcore.
0: Yep. Man, I dig her.
1: And she helps Riker and Geordi
0: escape the ready room. Yep. Well, because the stakes are upped when she realizes they're going to crash on the inhabited planet. Yeah. Yep. Or is, is, does she give that order even before that happens?
2: She gives it before, but she's, like, really... The tension is amped way up once they're about to break the Prime Directive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like,
1: even before that, I think she's worried about just the technology falling into the wrong hands. So she wants them to destroy the saucer rather than let the Maquis get it. Because she's obviously, sure you know, got an axe to grind with Fulton and the Maquis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, throughout the whole thing, she's just
2: super badass. I will say, though, that considering they spend so much time, especially Fulton, douchebag McGee, spends so much time talking about how she never does what anybody wants, and she's tough as nails, and blah, 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 and then he puts her on the view screen and is like, do what I say or I'll kill you. Like, um, shockingly, shockingly, everyone (laughs) is shocked when she's like, nah, blow the ship up with everybody on it. And he's like, what? And I'm like, really? (laughs) that that was the most obvious thing she could have ever done i guess it's just probably because he would have never done that so he doesn't even like comprehend that somebody else would have a higher i don't know concern than their own life but still right. i was like okay dude good job you
1: suck agreed it is like mildly disappointing that she gets punched unconscious and then like spends the rest mm-hmm. of the book mostly unconscious but she apologizes to picard at the end and what is a nice way but then he's also like i'm also sorry it's it was very canadian i was like i i understand uh-huh. this they're <laughs> both
2: sorry did it speak to your canadian soul <laughs> yeah i'm sorry no i'm sorry
0: uh but ethics okay we recapping okay and murder so no i'm I, I stopped the I, – I I marked this in the book. Okay, so th- again, at the very end, a lot of the Maquis have died, but the Cardassians left, and they took Fulton with them. Yeah. And Picard's talking to Jordy, who's still on the planet, and it's literally written, Jordy thought about the sniveling traitor who had caused so much death and destruction. Was there punishment to fit the crime? Probably not, under Federation statutes. And then he says to Picard, the Cardassians did capture one Maquis. But I doubt if he'll live long enough to be rescued. I don't think it's worth going to war over. And Picard says, then we'll let it end here. So already they know, Geordi doesn't specify that it's Fulton, but they know that the Cardassians have one of the Maquis. Literally the next scene is the Cardassians torturing him. And then a few pages later, in sickbay, Picard's talking to Necheyev and she asks where Fulton is. And Picard says, as far as we know, he perished with the other Maquis in the battle with the Cardassians. Yeah. So
1: it's like straight up lies. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I was surprised, like, I mean, I like Geordi, but I don't know that he is a political decision maker. And that is like a big decision to decide whether you're going to pursue the Cardassians or not. And maybe Picard would want to know a little bit more information before just being like, yeah, Geordi probably knows what he's talking
2: about. Yeah. I mean I was fine with it. <laughs> I mean, if it were if we were talking about real life, I would definitely side-eye that decision, but whatever, he sucked. Let him yeah let him die in Cardassian jail. I'm fine with it. <laughs> it
1: it seemed like they were but I mean there's also a difference between the guy died uh with the Cardassians, the Cardassians killed him after torturing him. And it's possible he knew a lot of sensitive information. That's true.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You see, that's that's where you got me. You got me at tactics.
0: Because this was also the guy who was the assistant to Necheyev.
2: Yeah, no, I don't feel any sympathy for the dude. I'm
1: just like, you might have actually wanted to at least be more honest with people about what the threat might have been. That the information he possessed went to the Cardassians. Nah. I mean, or the Maquis, even. Like, how much did had he been telling the Maquis? And everyone's
2: just kind of like, yeah, I guess you know, it's fine. He's dead. Well he apparently doesn't know who the architect is, which is
0: good. That's true. Nobody does. That's why they use code names, Andy, Peacock, and Blue Moon. <laughs> but, and Linda, how did Linda
1: not get a code name?
2: Yeah. Poor Linda. Maybe Linda is her code name because she's pretty <laughs> uh, sorry what would my code name be what? polar bear tweeter <laughs> tweeter well <laughs> uh, blue moon just makes me think of ice cream <laughs> I just find that to be the weirdest code name I just picture a big tub of ice cream oh these these guys make some decisions that I would not make let's put it that way hmm
1: Well, I mean, so I was also a little bit bothered by the way, like, Linda dies. And they're like, well, it wasn't our fault. You're the ones that stuck us with these disruptors that kill people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This book was awesome. (laughs) 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 This exchange is amazing. So,
0: So they're like, first of all. Blue Moon and Peacock. If we had some non-lethal <laughs> weapons, guys, come no, seriously, on. Seriously, <laughs>
2: seriously, Blue Moon and Peacock, because I'm going to make them use their codenames if they're going to give each other such terrible code names, yep. They have decided, okay, we're totally screwed. Instead of, like, just giving up, we're going to go that final route and break the Prime Directive, and we're going to crash land on this planet and ruin their entire civilization. And Linda's like, no, man, I'm not doing that. That sucks. And there's a moment where Blue Moon is like, yeah, I respect that. And and then he goes, "Okay, go find the Starfleet guys that kneecapped our other friend earlier by herself. Go do that. And then, shockingly, they kill her. Like, Jordy and Riker get the best of the one person that they sent after them. And they call and they're like, um, sorry, we killed her. (laughs) i still can't get over this they're like sorry we killed her and they're like how dare
0: you i think they say like unfortunately the young woman is dead (laughs) yes and well they didn't know her name at least they didn't call her a girl and then
2: Riker legit is just like what did you expect us to do they you sent her alone and all we have are disruptors like we can't stun her sucks we can't yeah, no one was going to punch her. I mean, he could have kneecapped another person. <laughs> but I just love that, that that he got so like, what did you expect me to do?
1: Yeah, that was a little weird. <laughs> it was
2: so funny. I died laughing. <laughs> <laughs> then
1: there's also the part where Jordy gets trapped in the turbolift that was kind of entertaining. And
2: uh, then he's afraid of turbolifts. <laughs> uh, Jordy's mm-hmm. kind of diehardy in this in this yeah. book no lie like he's first he escapes Riker and Necheyev don't escape like they all escape one by one instead of like all at once so Jordy gets away and then he beams Riker away and then they manage to beam Necheyev away lately and later but I just think it's so funny like most of the time Jordy is just like rocking out by himself in the dark because why not <laughs> and he has a run-in with a caveman
1: at the end
0: (laughs) oh yeah that's right who's terrified of his eyes
1: yeah that that seems like that's right out of the starfleet playbook right that like when you accidentally encounter a primitive civilization what you should really do is scare them with advanced
0: (laughs) technology if someone asks you if you're a god you say yes wait wrong franchise I mean, like, clearly people are going to go
1: back to that planet in like a few hundred years and they're all going to be worshiping an (laughs) idol of (laughs) Jordy.
2: I just love that he's like, people always seem to react when I take off my visor, so it must look scary. I better do it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, it worked. Jordy's the only one who walks away from that. Of all like of all the McKee that crash land on that planet, literally Jordy's the only one who and at one point at one point he just runs away. He's like, Bye (laughs) and he just (laughs) runs off into the woods. It's amazing. That part's great.
1: (laughs) I kind of love Jordy in this book. And uh meanwhile like Riker and nishayev are getting terrorized by sea monsters yeah mm-hmm. to the point that like nishayev is curled up in the fetal position when they <laughs> transport her nothing back. that a,
2: some some hot cider won't fix okay
0: <laughs> uh can we also talk about picard's lady and the tiger scenario <laughs> um yes <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, i have to
2: okay I have to say this, before we go any farther, you picked a, a banger of a book, I'm not gonna lie. Yes. <laughs>
0: yep. It was fun as hell. All
2: right, let's talk about Lady and the Tiger. So,
0: <laughs> so the, the saucers are apparently flying through space next to each other, and they look identical, and the Maquis one is, is jamming the sensors, and Crusher's commanding one and the Maquis have the other, and Picard's like, it's the lady or the tiger. <laughs> and and yeah. is it Worf? Who's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it, like, Picard goes on this long extended storytelling thing about how if you pick the door with what well, first of all, why is the lady behind a door? But if you pick the door with the lady behind it, you get to marry her. And <laughs> if you pick the other one, you have to fight the tiger <laughs> to the death. Ah, <laughs> oh, such a good story. Such a good story. I just... So he fires phasers on both saucers.
2: <laughs> well, the best part is, is Worf is like, do it the Klingon way. Shoot out everyone. And Picard's like, solid. Solid advice. Let's go for that.
0: But I do really love when... when He's face-to-face with Crusher again, and he's like, I'm so happy to see you. And she says, happy <laughs> enough to hold your fire.
2: He's like, my bad. So
1: Sorry good. about that. Sorry about it. And then they were saying, like, they should make Guinan a bridge officer, and she's just like, I don't like the uniforms.
0: <laughs> they also made a joke about her hats. Oh, yeah. Like, she was late for Shore leave because she was trying to choose which hats to bring. <laughs> yes
1: what do you think of the beginning part where the Maki guy sleeps with Ro? What? Oh yeah, the part where like you know the guy goes to see the architect. Wasn't Wiley who goes it's to see Blue Moon? Him? Is it's, it? it? It's, it's Blue Moon. It's, it's Wiley. Wiley, Wiley. Yeah, Blue yeah. Moon. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, so he goes to see the architect and like basically get the information about what they're gonna go do, and he ends up sleeping
2: with her. But he's like, oh, I did not catch that at all.
0: Yeah, and he, but he's like totally like enthralled like she is the only time it's really brought up is when he's leaving yeah like they just wait the scene is afterwards like he woke up and she's sending him on a mission
2: oh yeah i completely missed that they banged but it feels
1: like she's almost like mythical like she's so amazing kind of thing well she's pretty
2: amazing i i mean i was kind of down with it actually i was like wow she's pretty powerful yeah i mean i definitely noticed that he was in love with her I just didn't realize it was reciprocated in any way. I mean, she probably didn't love him. I think only in the physical way. She probably was lonely.
1: It's like Wiley felt a pang in his heart for this beautiful young woman. He wanted to wrap her in his arms and assure her there would be a happy ending to their
2: trials, but he didn't know if that was truly the case. What a douche. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can't. No. Bye. Bye. Bye, bro. I just, when you meet a really powerful woman, if your response is like you want to protect her, that really creeps me out, to be honest. It's really patronizing. Yeah. But one thing, though, about him and about everyone in this book except for Peacock Douchebag McGee is they all had like gray and like they all had motivations that made some sense. And a lot of them were like questioning those motivations, but like, ultimately deciding Mm -hmm. that they had made the right choice for the most part and the only one that really was irredeemable was Fulton which is probably why I didn't care at all that he ended up getting tortured with Ferengi pain whips or whatever they were which by the way hilarious
0: I mean the truly his only motivation was power
2: yeah like personal and at one point that Like, they even say that to him. They're like, wait, so you did this for personal gain? He was like, -uh, no, it's because of Starfleet. But it totally wasn't. It was for personal gain.
0: He even goes on a rant at, I think, Riker. And when they're all tied up, saying, like, I can, they won't let me command a ship. But now I can command any ship. I could command the Enterprise now that I'm Maquis. Yeah, okay, bro. Like, it's totally all about rising the hypothetical ranks
1: it could have been worse he could have swapped bodies with captain picard
0: (laughs) (laughs) they'll never let me be captain
2: oh gosh because i'm
0: a dude
2: (laughs) man but yeah like that's one thing i really did truly like about this book is like i thought that that he did a good job of setting up that everyone's motivations were complicated and everybody was spending time wondering whether they were doing the right thing. And I mean even the Starfleet people because they're sitting there like, should we be helping, should we be helping the Cardassians at the expense of our own colonists? And like that's the strength of the McKee storyline anyway, is like Starfleet made this huge decision that doesn't sit right with so many people. It doesn't even really mm-hmm. sit right with most of Starfleet which is why they have so many people leaving and joining the Maquis. And I just thought that that was well done. Yeah. I liked a lot of the internal monologues, especially from Wiley. He was probably the best on that, where he was just like, am
1: I doing the right thing? I don't know, though, that I really bought that they would feel so much remorse at the end of it that, like, Jordy would go out of his way to send a message. Just given, like, what the Maquis had just put them through – And the attitude toward the Maquis
0: by, like, the people on Deep Space Nine and stuff by this point. Yeah, I still think that, you know, it's a whole ship of people who lost their lives. Mm -hmm. So if they can get official word back to someone. Yeah. Yeah. You might as well.
1: Yeah. It just seemed like he was like, look, I'm not not saying you guys are Maquis, but like, if you were, you should tell them. Yeah. I don't know. I I just was like, I feel like the, the issue is a little bit more serious than that, that you might get in shit for that, but I don't know. He clearly does
2: think they're rocky, or at least that they might be able to.
0: Well, they're heading into the DMZ, yeah. but
2: considering they built Roe up as like this tactically brilliant officer in this book, that's like really doing a lot of man um, damage to the Cardassians. She really gets her mm-hmm. ass handed to her in this book. Yeah.
0: Well, it's Fulton. Really? Yeah, but it was yeah. her
2: plan. Yeah, yeah I actually, to true. be honest, why wasn't she there running it?
0: Because they know her. Well, and it, and
1: she's like the leader. of, she, you know, she's hoping for this to not be her only and last plan,
2: right? Yeah, but like if if Wiley could get there, she could get there. It just seems like she yeah. like built up this plan that was really intricate, and then sent a douchebag like Fulton. And Wiley was mm-hmm. like not a, a a totally bad guy, but he wasn't also he also wasn't a very good leader. Like there was yeah they were pretty mm-hmm. incompetent. Linda was the only one that didn't totally suck when it came to the competence part, and even she got shot in the face by Riker. So I I don't know. It just it feels weird that she was like the architect of this whole plan, and then she let it play out where she didn't even know if they succeeded or not, and then in the end she lost her base of operations. So, like, there was no wins for her.
0: Well, in some cases, I think, in a situation like the Maquis is in, you have to work with what you got. Like, Fulton has to be involved because of the position that he has in Starfleet. Mm. I would, if she's leading this entire Maquis cell, isn't it irresponsible to go off and do this mission? Because what if you don't come back? Mm, I don't know. I just feel like Roe could have peeled it off. Probably. But even the, how the Cardassians found out is that the people on the saucer and in the, the freighter, the pack led freighter, were using old encryption codes. So the Cardassians yeah. had broken them. Yeah. So like the bad decision making and the errors were all from the people on the mission. Yeah. Yeah. Just can't get any
2: good help around here, I guess. Well, and I mean, she knows by the end that, like, she's been
1: really defeated on this issue and has to regroup. Yeah.
0: But overall, I feel like they could have done a lot more with the Maquis in all of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like they were just created to get some conflict going for Voyager. And then they didn't even really use that conflict a whole lot. And in DS9, they were just like, we need something else. And they moved on to the Dominion War. Like there's a lot more of that like political tension and discord that they could have dealt with. Or maybe it just feels that way to me now because it's sort of like we're living in it. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, there's definitely more that could have been done. But um and I think this book kind of shows that that there's potential there to explore, you know, the tensions between the Maquis too, as well as between the Maquis and the Federation.
0: Right. Because you've got ex-Federation, you've got people who've never been part of the Federation. You've got people who were just colonists and are now in the middle of this. Yeah, it makes
1: total sense that, like, some people would care really passionately about the Prime Directive. Because, like, while I wasn't abandoning the Prime Directive, I just didn't believe Federation was right about this one thing. But then other people are like, why should I care about their rules? Their rules are terrible because mm-hmm. they cause – it's, like, a terrible system.
2: It's, yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. Like, so much of this book is kind of silly, but it really does bring up a lot of – tensions within starfleet they just need better code names guys yeah definitely <laughs> i mean they should have just been called douchebag mcgee
1: and and mustache yes those would have <laughs> been better names definitely
0: yes i'm glad you guys like this book. yeah it was so funny so entertaining
1: it was a good holiday read too i thought just like it was uh, a nice sort of
0: it was a romp yes yeah i definitely remembered it as being fun i also appreciated how short it was <laughs> well because you read it in
1: a day yep
0: i mean it's 270 pages yep that's about what the numbered tng novels tend to run i feel like it's not until the relaunch that they started getting longer well it was very fast paced yes that's cool
1: so listeners what should we read next
0: You can tell us at our Goodreads group. (laughs) Just the pause. Like on Blue's blues. (laughs) Clues. Where is it? Over
1: there. I can imagine you (sighs) listeners all shouting out as I paused just there. but yeah we uh have a thread for suggestions for the next book we should read um or you know our future reading list in our goodreads group if you go to goodreads.com and search women at warp in the group section you can join our book club
0: and take part in the discussion and it's fun it is you get to fun read books like this you get to read romps Mm-hmm. and sometimes autobiographies and sometimes other stuff yeah yeah good times so does anybody have any final thoughts on rogue saucer tng number 39 it was good. I liked it. I'd read it again.
1: <laughs> yep. I might not read it again only because it is in the giant stack of all of the Star Trek novels that I have and I would say I have read maybe 10% of them so we're going to try and read mm. some other ones first but maybe one day when I am looking back on my failed career as an architect of a revolution, <laughs> and I've had to burn all my other books in my escape from my lair, then I'll return to this one.
2: Really, if Ro had just known that you need a really good song to close out, bring all the people to revolution, make sure that, you know, they hear the people sing, singing the song (laughs) of angry
0: men. Well, the copy I reread for this is the same one I bought in that used bookstore in Delaware (laughs) in the late 90s. So... I will definitely read this again at some point, although it might take another, I don't know, 20 years. But we'll get there. <laughs> All right. So, Jarrah, where can people find you on the internet? You can
1: find me at Jarrah Penguin on Twitter. That's J-A-R-R-A-H
2: Penguin.
0: And Andy? Easiest place to find me is
2: on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting through my first time through Star Trek.
0: And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. You can also find the show on Twitter at Women at Warp on Facebook at facebook.com slash Women at Warp. You can get in touch with us by sending us an email to crew at women at warp.com. And of course, uh, find us in Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review on Patreon and in all of your favorite pod catchers. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you can go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks for joining us.